0: it seems like creatives always get a bad rap
1: from childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests strange superstitions and even self-mutilation it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits
0: but they've also made a pretty big impact on the world
1: hi i'm kate rooney
0: and i'm just scuffy
1: and you're listening to creatives are the worst presented by design pickle the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform
0: in this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst?
1: Hello and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. My name is Kate Rooney, and I'm with my lovely co-host, Jess Guffy.
0: Good morning, Kate. Good morning. What's up? We're back today with another mini episode and I personally am very excited about this and I hope you are too because it's going to be a little bit of a nostalgic ride for us, I think.
1: Oh, nice pun there.
0: Thanks. <laughs> hey <laughs> That's not fair because you know what I'm covering.
1: <laughs> That's right. When, when we do these mini episodes, we do know what the other person is covering. So there is no surprise, but this one is so fun that we got to do it. So what are we doing today?
0: Well, uh, you know, we've really enjoyed covering different creative works. That's our our concept for these many episodes, is doing some deep dives. But we've done some, you know, we've done a movie, we've done an album now, we've done music, done film, all that. So I wanted to do something different. And who better than to revisit than our friend Walter Elias Disney, and his <laughs> magical creations from a theme park perspective. So today we are going to be covering the history of Space Mountain. <gasps> uh, I don't know about you, Kate, but this is by far my favorite ride as a child i was definitely a thrill seeker from a young age oh,
1: this is my surprised face <laughs> I, I will say so even though i knew we were covering d- some ass facets f- assets facets <laughs> facets of disneyland i did not know specifically which ride you were covering so that hence my my actual gasp <gasps> Ooh, that's a fun one Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not surprised that that was your favorite ride Mine was the (laughs) Matterhorn.
0: Well, I mean, one in the same, right? Like, same concept. I remember, actually, (laughs) this is an oddly specific memory, but welcome to my memory. Um, I would make my parents bring me up to the thing that measured your height literally every time we were there and we would go every year sometimes twice a year unfortunately because it was just easy for parents um and i would make them measure me until i was tall enough to go on space oh. mountain because i wanted to go so, so cute. bad luckily i was a giant so <laughs> <laughs> you,
1: you were you were really tall i love that picture you sent me one time with your friend where you're, you're the same age but you're just like towering over her
0: and I'm really not that tall. I'm only 5'8", but like I think I just was always taller than my peers as a child, uh-huh. and then it evened out. But yeah, I got to go pretty early on, and it just became my favorite ride. I would tell my dad, okay, we're getting in line again, we're getting in line again. He's like, oh my god, somebody get this child.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you'll get into it, but one of the things that I love about that ride is... <laughs> This is going to sound like classic cage is boring over here, but just even being in line is fun, which Mm -hmm. Disney does with all of their rides. They make it a whole experience, just why they're so good at what they do. But yeah, being in like you, you feel like you're actually going on a mission. You have all these TV screens. Briefing you on everything. It's so cool.
0: It is so cool. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But I thought as I was doing this, it's a really interesting look at creativity because it's such a different application of creativity Mm. than we usually get to talk about. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it in the Disney episode. I did not go back and listen to that episode (laughs) because I'm terrible. I don't know about you. (laughs) Oh, no, Um, I did. Yeah. Yeah, Not- Kate's winking. <laughs> um, but I think it's just an interesting conversation to be had about this type of creativity because it's so much more in depth, I think, than other ones and so much more practical because you have people's mm-hmm. lives that you're responsible for when you're deciding Ooh, right. Good point.
1: We, so- we kind of, I mean, we don't say that all the time, but with working in in the industry that we do and in the tech space and all that it's like things get really really tense but it's like we don't work at a hospital you know no one's lives are at stake but this is an aspect of creativity where that is true and that is terrifying
0: (laughs) yeah pretty scary so let's talk about the history of it let's dive in Let's do it. My dog starts rolling around. He's excited, too. (laughs) Hey, Ben. So the concept actually dates back to the early 1960s in Disneyland. So that's like the first murmurs of some sort of space concept for a ride. Now, as we know and as we talked about in the Disney episode, the full-length episode, the park had been operating Disneyland. Disneyland. This is what we're talking about when I say the park. Had been operating since 1955. So in 1959, they opened the first thrill ride, the Matterhorn, your favorite, Kate. (laughs) Nice. Which, at the time, redefined ride technology. So that was, in typical Disney fashion, very ahead of its time, very advanced. (laughs) No one had really done anything like that before. Of course, the Matterhorn, Kate, would you care to describe quickly what that is in case people don't know?
1: (laughs) Well, it's a giant mountain, and it's it's definitely like the... Symbol of Disneyland, I guess, in down in Orange County. But yeah, it's a giant mountain, and you go in this bobsled yep. thing, this car, and you go around. And my favorite part of the ride is at one point you go past the abominable snowman.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I, I really get so excited. Like, oh, he's coming up. He's coming up. I love it. And yeah.
0: It's such a fun one. So that was obviously killing it for them. I mean, we already talked about this in the full-length episode, but their attendance just spiked, and it was basically an instant hit when Disneyland opened, and Matterhorn, once it was created, contributed to this significantly. But... As well as that was doing, Tomorrowland was in serious need of a facelift. I mean, they did not really give it that much love when the park opened. Obviously, they were constrained for budget, constrained for time. So it was thought of that Tomorrowland, like, they would get to it once they were able to turn a profit and all that good stuff. So instead of building rides and attractions there, it kind of became this hub for advertisers and corporate partners. So people were not thrilled about that because you just kind of saw logos everywhere, but there really weren't any rides to back it up. Which I thought was really hmm. interesting considering my work with corporate partnerships. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, let me just sponsor Disneyland real quick. That's an interesting. No, baby. Yeah, whatever. So, because things were going so well, um, they decided to move forward with New Tomorrowland, AKA the renovation and section of Tomorrowland. Very original name, not to get back to names, but. <laughs> tomorrow, Tomorrowland. <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> Tomorrowland today. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> So the Imagineers got to work. And as we know, the Imagineers are the brains behind the operation of all the Disney parks. So they design the experience, the rides. They're absolute geniuses. There are plenty of documentaries about what they do. So I'm sure we'll talk about them at some point. But they had the original idea for this space concept. And they knew Matterhorn was doing well. So they looked to it for inspiration. They were like, "Okay, there's a thrill ride here. We've already been experimenting with ride systems, with roller coasters, so let's kind of go with this concept. And they came up with the concept for, quote-unquote, spaceport. That was the original name. (laughs) It's so futuristic. So futuristic. So the first drawings for this concept came about in 1965 from Imagineer John Hench. His name should sound familiar Mm -hmm. because we talked about him at length. In fact, he's the one that Walt walked into his office one day, looked at what he was doing and turned to leave and said, "By the way, John, you're going to work on Disneyland and you're going to like it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our friend wow. John. Oh, all
1: right, John. Um,
0: I would argue that he's The most notable Imagineer, I mean, he touched everything you know that's big at Disneyland, Disney World, all of that he touched. And a fun fact that I uncovered about him just in my brief research for this episode was that he actually designed the Olympic torch for the 1960 Olympics in California. No way. And pretty much every subsequent torch at the Olympics has been based on this design that he came up with. So Okay, random. I want to do That's a deep dive cool. on, on John because what a yeah. f- fascinating man. Right? Like, we wow. probably need to give him his own episode. Um, but just wanted to make sure that we give credit <laughs> there for, for sure. all of his achievements. So the early concept for Spaceport was it was basically shaped like a circus tent, but it was a hard structure. It had four tracks, indoor-outdoor components, like it was wild. At one point, Mm -hmm. the drawing showed the coaster going on top of the building and on top of the structure, like the whole thing. So they were working with an aero development company on the technology and structure ideas at the time, and they felt pretty good about it. They felt like they had a pretty solid concept. But they went to Mr. Disney himself and showed him all the drawings, showed him all the plans, and he ultimately rejected this version for two reasons. One, he was like, this is going to cost a ridiculous amount of money that we don't have right now, so okay, no. Okay, true. And the most interesting part to me is that he said, Walt said, that he thought a space-themed ride should stay inside and thought it should be all inside to control the effects, the special effects that they were able to do, and said if it goes outside, it'll lose that magic for a space ride.
1: Okay. Uh, Mr. Disney, y- you've done so much already – and I am just flabbergasted that he had that foresight and that 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 is
0: I know. Isn't that genius? Crazy? I know. Insane. So and that's what the ride's
1: known for, too. I know.
0: It's like, <sighs> wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, are we surprised? No. But does <sighs> it still blow our minds? Yes. Yep. So. Ultimately, though, this ended up working in the favor of the Imagineers because John Hench was a futurist, like that's what he called himself, and he was obsessed with computers even in the 60s, and he wanted this space ride to be fully run by computers, both for safety and so that it could be like the first of its kind at any Disney park, because no other park was doing this. Computers were still really, really new, people didn't really know their capabilities, so In order for that to work, the computers needed to have full rendering capabilities, and they didn't at the time. So apparently, there's a whole bunch of technology behind it. I don't want to get into it, but apparently it has to have full rendering so that the actual operation can match the rendering, and that's the reason behind that. But they didn't have the sophistication to do that in the 1960s. That said, computers were improving every year, so John Hench was like, you know what? what we're going to do is we're going to wait to see if technology catches up because I really am like dead set on this. I don't want to waver from this. I want computers to be running this ride. Wow. So nine years later, computers finally did, which is crazy to me. Like, oh yeah, let's just wait. Like we know technology is going to catch up at this point in our lives. I don't feel like we're ever going to say that. Like we're not like, oh yeah, like let's just wait for the technology on it. We have nine years, so too. much. Yeah. <laughs> john you are a patient man so patient but hey he had a creative vision so um in the meantime though through those nine years obviously walt had passed away disney world had opened And by the time they were ready to build it or ready to pursue it, they actually didn't have much space left for this type of ride at Disneyland. So they kept reiterating it, they kept changing the structure, they kept changing the design, but they couldn't find a way to make it fit at Disneyland. And we know still to this day, like Disneyland doesn't exactly have that much space Mm -hmm. around it. It's pretty locked. So they decided to shelf the idea for Disneyland. But around the same time, they were looking at trying to bring the Matterhorn over to Disney World because it did so well. They couldn't fit that there. And instead, they were like, oh, my gosh, what if we brought this space voyage concept over to Disney World instead to give Disney World a thrill ride? So they also had space for it in Tomorrowland. And they were all like, done. We're going to do this. We're going to bring this to Disney World instead. Huh. So, there's a big debate amongst the Imagineers about the exterior design, if it should be a cone, a dome, you know. They just kept going back and forth. They were all really adamant. (laughs) Come on, let's ride. (laughs) Just waiting for
1: (laughs) you. You're welcome.
0: Oh, boy. So, ultimately, the hench's idea, shocker, of a cone shape one out. So the ride still to this day is kind of cone-like on the exterior. And luckily for them, because they'd been working on this project for so long, most of the other features were already completely mapped out. So it was really Mm -hmm. just that exterior structure that they needed to find out. And they had a plan to move forward. They were feeling really good about it, but... As with anything, they needed the funds. So they got, I did not know this, but again, my sponsorship brain is like, wow. Um, (laughs) They got RCA to sponsor the ride and the construction of the ride as long as they could advertise throughout. So RCA paid $10 million to fund the construction for a few logo placements before and after the ride. (laughs) Wow.
1: Wow. Yeah
0: seems like a bad idea to me but hey uh,
1: i thought that you were going to say that the rca provided like the audio because the music and the sound effects are very important to the ride but no it's just the logo placement
0: and okay to be fair like there were other elements throughout i don't want to get into all of the elements because they're honestly pretty boring like it's just an advertisement it's just you and
1: i are interested in it because (laughs) because
0: yeah yeah but it, they did weave rCA elements throughout okay. the ride experience, not the actual ride, but in the queue and after and all that good stuff. so I suppose they probably got their money's worth, but i I would say no to that sponsorship <laughs> um, <laughs> in nineteen seventy two since they got the funds, construction began, and it took two and a half years. They used concrete beams that were like 75 feet long. So just imagine how heavy those were to build it. But once it was finally complete, it hit a lot of firsts for Disney as a company. So it was the first roller coaster built entirely by Disney in-house. So they didn't use that aero development company to help them. They built it entirely in-house. It was the biggest building Disney had constructed outside of Cinderella's Castle, and they actually ended up building some of Space Mountain Underground to not overshadow the castle, because it's Ooh. obviously, like, the castle. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. And it was the first fully indoor coaster, so callback to Walt's idea there. Mm-hmm. And then it was the first coaster to be created by computers. So really exciting for them. John Hench's vision came true there. So in 1977, Disneyland opened their own version of Space Mountain, which I found interesting at first. They were like, oh, we can't make space for it. No pun intended. And then because it was such an instant success at Disney World, they were like, oh, but we want to do it. Oh, whoa, we found some space here. That's crazy.
1: I actually, I I had no idea. I thought the one in Disneyland was the first one. So that was, that's news to me.
0: Disney World, and because obviously Space Mountain is the best, they set a daily attendance record at Disneyland, and theirs actually is a different layout. It's a different structure for the ride, so it's single track versus four tracks, I believe, at Disney World. Um, So they did tweak it a little bit, but the overall concept, as we know, is the same. So here's where it gets a little bit interesting. In 1992, Euro Disney, or what we now know as Disneyland Paris, opened. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but it is really interesting because there was a lot of hate, a lot of controversy about Disneyland being in Paris, and they were not doing well financially from the very beginning. Like, it was just things were not going well. The Imagineers had had the idea for Discovery Mountain and Discovery Bay to do something different and big and to attract guests to Disneyland. They weren't really sure if it was just the language barrier, like it didn't translate as well, even though people knew Disney movies, they weren't sure what it was. So they were like, let's do something really big to get people in the door.
1: Well, I recall too, I think like the people in France were just not happy to have some big tacky theme park in the middle. Yes. That was a huge part of it. Yep. Hey Jess, why do gherkins giggle when you touch them?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Why do they?
1: It's because they're (laughs) pickleish.
0: Oh my God.
1: Okay, that joke might be the worst, but you know what's not the worst? Design Pickle.
0: That's right. Design Pickle is the world's leading flat rate creative services platform. And there are so many features that I love, but to name a few, unlimited requests, unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, unlimited brand profiles. I truly could go on forever about these, but those are some of my favorites.
1: And on top of all of those features, Design Pickle offers a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, meaning you can sign up, try it for 30 days, see if it's a good fit for you and your business, or get a full refund. No hard feelings.
0: And to make it even better, because it wasn't good enough, you're <laughs> a listener of this podcast, use promo code WORST at checkout to get $100 off your first month of any plan.
1: That's right, $100 off your first month with any plan using code WORST, W-O-R-S-T, all caps, at checkout.
0: Pretty sweet deal. Ayo. So in order to create this Discovery Bay, Discovery Mountain idea, they needed a huge budget. And so they decided to wait a few years after the opening to pursue it because they thought, based on the other success of the other parks, they would quickly turn a profit. Well, that wasn't true, and they lost over $1 billion in their first year. No big deal. Ooh. Yep. Ouch. So they ultimately refinanced with the banks, and CEO of Disney at the time, Michael Eisner, wanted to abandon the venture altogether in 1994. He was like, we're out. We don't want to be any part of this because it wasn't fully owned and operated by disney they were like partial shareholders in this so they had decided to meet with all the shareholders but the day before michael could pull the plug it was announced that disney the creditor banks and a wealthy saudi prince had banded together to save the park (laughs) i missed that avengers movie (laughs) so random so random but with this you know they had the banks on their side disney said we will not charge you royalty payments for a while to like help you get on your feet blah 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 but they needed to do something to draw guests in fast before the interest kicked in and before the royalty payments kicked in because they only had about three years to do that wow so tim delaney was the lead imagineer on the project And he wanted to revisit Discovery Bay, but they couldn't do all of Discovery Bay because it was a massive project. So he decided to pull inspiration from Jules Verne and the book that he wrote in 1865 called From the Earth to the Moon, which was super big in France. Um, It was actually a French book originally. And this guy, this author, included real scientific elements in his novels. So that's why he was so popular. And the story itself was about gun makers trying to launch a spaceship to the moon. <laughs> very, very random. Very random. But in 1969, Neil Armstrong actually cited this story and drew parallels between his actual space mission and this hook. oh So, like, it was very prominent. And Tim Delaney was like, hey, this is a great piece of inspiration to pull thematic elements from for a ride. So they decided to move forward with this. And in order to kind of piecemeal it together and still make it cool, they decided to build and display a huge Nautilus. So guests could walk through it. Guests could see, like, some fun, not alternate reality. They didn't have that in the 90s. But kind of, like, simulation of sea animals, stuff like that.
1: I'm sorry, a Nautilus?
0: A Nautilus. What's a Nautilus?
1: It's,
0: like, a submarine type thing. Yeah. So they created a ride with that called Mysteries of the Nautilus, and people could walk through, see all these different elements. There were little pieces of the book woven in, so it was very Mm -hmm. on theme. And they finally found the funds to build the mountain part of it with only one ride instead of multiple like they had originally planned. And they planned to make it from the Earth to the Moon themed. So everything was tying back to this Jules Verne book. Now, the attraction was called Discovery Mountain from the original idea through construction, but marketing at the very last hour, (laughs) typical marketing teams have been here. No comment. (laughs) Yep. Uh, They found that something space-themed would be more enticing to guests instead of Discovery Mountain, so that's Mm -hmm. when it became Space Mountain from the Earth to the Moon. To the Moon! To the moon. They changed the name so late that there were still little DMs for Discovery Mountain all oh over the ride. Gosh. Like, they didn't even change them. It was That just... is so triggering. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Whenever I know, we have to I... <laughs> change something or rebrand something, we're still finding the wrong name years later.
0: Yeah, it was pretty uh, traumatizing to read about that. I (laughs) felt it in my bones. (laughs) So they finally finished the ride. They poured as much money as they had into marketing it, and the ride had a ton of pressure on it to produce results, obviously, given the financial situation of the park. Sure. So by June 1st, 1995, the ride officially opened. It had a ton of special effects, all related to From the Earth to the Moon. It was highly stylistic. It had this bronze cannon you could see from the outside and that's where the guests would load in so they'd essentially (gasps) load at the bottom of this cannon and then you could see them launch to the moon and they had smoke effects like it was a whole thing that they pieced together it also had new technology that allowed the music to play directly to each guest to make it more of an immersive experience and it emphasized certain parts of the ride, so they timed it so that the score would like emphasize if they were going down a dip or whatever which we still see Mm -hmm. in rides today And that's called the Synchronized Onboard Audio app, in case anyone is wondering.
1: I was.
0: (laughs) I know. Anyways, the whole ride received a ton of praise because it told a story despite being super fast paced and considered a thrill ride. And people said the theming of it based on the book was next level. Like Hmm. the Space Mountains at Disney World and Disneyland could never touch this level of theming. Dang, I really
1: want to go on it now.
0: I know. So cool. We'll talk about that. So Um, it was an instant success. Attendance skyrocketed. Within a year, the park turned a profit. So all the pressure that they had on this ride ended up paying off. And Imagineer Tim Delaney, who came up with this whole concept, is credited for saving the entire park, which is pretty cool. Amazing. Now... Since then, all of the space mountain rides around the world have been rethemed, redesigned, redone many times. And now all of them have the Star Wars treatment. Mm. So this concept of from the Earth to the Moon no longer exists at Disneyland Paris, which made me really, really sad. But despite that, the structure of all the rides has really not changed at all. So they're super old school with their structure. And the reason they say, I say they, critics people imaginaries, sure. whoever um the reason it's so successful is that because it's completely inside and in the dark you actually have no idea how fast you're going and it mm-hmm. creates the illusion of you're going really fast but this blew my mind kate the max speed of all of these rides is 35 miles an hour no <laughs> yeah
1: you're lying what in like dog speed it's <laughs> <That's laughs>
0: I I needed a moment when I first read that because I was like, oh my god, my whole childhood was a lie. I was say uh, we've been duped. <laughs> we have been duped, but it's because it's completely dark. So again, Walt's idea, oh, the magic came of through, Disney, and the way that they do the effects, you feel like you're going a bajillion miles an hour, but in fact, you're going what you would drive in a school zone. <laughs> I think I need a minute after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, here to ruin your day. Um, yeah, so that blew my mind. But uh, what also is interesting is because these rides across the world in all their different forms and variations have been so successful. As of October of 2020, there is a Space Mountain live action film in the works by Disney. We have no idea what that means. We have no other details, but they have confirmed that there is a movie in the works about this ride. Bringing it to life.
1: Uh, uh. Yeah. I just... We're going on the Star Wars train, though. Didn't that kind of, like, take over? How are they...
0: Yeah, I don't know. I had the same thought. Um, Guess (laughs) we'll see. Guess we'll see if it comes to fruition. But anyways, Kate, that is the history of my favorite ride and many people's space mountain. Yes. That was awesome. I
1: really... Uh, Everything's kind of slowly opening up now. I have no desire to go to Disneyland, per se, at least not for, I don't know, a while. But I do really miss going on those rides. They're
0: so much fun and so nostalgic. So nostalgic. I am not a big Disneyland person, personally. Like I don't like the lines (laughs) and the crowds. No. At all. At all. Um, I'd rather be sitting on the beach somewhere, personally. But it is... It's a magical place. It's it really like once is. Once every few
1: years. I'm I'm cool with that.
0: Agreed. Agreed. So I would like to shout out that we did get most of the information for this from both Defunctland on YouTube, awesome channel if you've never checked Mm -hmm. it out, and Park Ride History, which is another awesome channel on YouTube. So check those out if you want more info on various theme parks and rides and such, but they have awesome content on there. So thank you to those channels for helping us with our research on this one. You guys made it easy for us. That was awesome. Thank you, Jess.
1: Uh, we will be back next week, but until then, be sure to like, review, rate, subscribe, all those things, and check us out on social media at Creatives Are the Worst or Worst Creatives on Twitter. And yeah,
0: that's it.
1: That's that's everything.
0: That's all she wrote. <laughs> Literally, everyone, that's all I wrote. That's
1: that's all she wrote. we're gonna go to the moon
0: goodbye thanks for listening to creatives are the worst
1: if you like what you're hearing or if you think that we're the worst please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice we'd love to hear from you
0: you can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com and a big thanks to design pickle for sponsoring the show
1: join us next week as we once again try to answer the question are creatives the worst